0: Have you ever noticed that the lower jaw is not protected in sports? Did you know that 10,800 concussions will happen today? This has been an upward trend for the past 50 years. I'm Dr. Michael Hutchison, a practicing neuromuscular dentist. When my son wanted to participate in football and rugby, I was afraid he was going to get a concussion. That fear led me to finding the missing link to reducing concussions. The fact is, the only part of the skull that is not protected in sports is the lower jaw. If you want to drastically reduce concussions there are three basic jaw positions that affect concussions and two of them are not good. The correct one is called physiologic jaw position. It will dissipate the force away from the brain. Knowing that I designed an appliance that put my son's jaw in the right place and as a result he was concussion-free from fifth grade all the way to senior year. This jaw position takes those 10,800 concussions today down to 28. It's the key to concussion protection. As a parent, this is what you need to know. It's extremely important that the device you're using is on the lower jaw. Thickness of the device is important. Most importantly, it must position and hold you in your own unique personal physiologic job position. So if your child goes out on the field with the correct job position, your son or daughter will not one of those 10,800 concussions today. Get yours today at powerplusmouthguard.com. Use the promo code POWERUP2023 for 10% off.
1: Thanks for listening to the Pigskin Tales Podcast. This story was written and produced by Ross Bliley, edited by Nikki Bliley. To support the podcast, join me on Patreon. You can find the podcast on any platform you want. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Audible. If you like the story, help me out by doing a quick review. This will help others to want to listen. The soundtrack is from filmmusic.io. Once again, thanks for listening to the Pigskin Tales Podcast. This episode is sponsored by Homefield Apparel. At Homefield, we know college, and we know what it's like to be part of something bigger than you. We create unique, premium collegiate apparel that shows you're a part of a community while still standing out from the crowd. Whether you're on campus or off, our high-quality goods are thoughtfully made and designed to last as long as your memories do. You can save 15% off your first order when you use the promo code SPORTSHISTORY at checkout. Hey friends, on the last episode of the podcast, I wrote a short story on Dave Casper. He was a -a one-of-a-kind guy who played with the Raiders, Vikings, and Oilers. He was born in Bemidji, Minnesota, but grew up in the woods of Wisconsin. Don't take that literally, folks. Please. He won a Super Bowl with the Raiders in 1975 and became the ninth best tight end in NFL history. This time, the tale is about an average Joe from White Earth, Minnesota. He grew up in the same era as Jim Thorpe, played fullback on offense and sideback on defense. Later, the position was renamed to defensive halfback, according to him. This is pigskin tales the story of joe big chief guyon there is no argument about the identity of the greatest football player who ever performed in dixie There is a grand argument about second place, but for first place, there is Joe Guyon, the Chippewa Brave, Ralph McGill, Atlanta sports newspaper publisher and author, from the book NFL 100, A Century of Pro Football. Joseph Napoleon Guyon Jr. was born on the White Earth Indian Reservation in White Earth, Minnesota on November the 26th in 1892. He was part of the Chippewa tribe. His Indian name was Cheetah, which means Big Chief. According to the website findagrave.com, his parents were Joseph Napoleon Guyon Sr. and Mary Mindamona Guyon. Joe Jr. married Charlotte Lee Arbogast in 1921 and gave birth to a girl, Geraldine, in 1919. Switching topics from family to location, according to the White Earth Nation website, the White Earth Reservation is located in Becker, Clearwater, and Menoman Counties in north-central Minnesota. Created in 1876 by a treaty between the United States and the Mississippi Band of Chippewa Indians, it is one of seven Chippewa reservations in Minnesota. According to his Pro Football Hall of Fame profile, Guyon received a 6th grade education from the American government. He once said that, quote, "...it was hard trying to make something of yourself. Sports were one of the few ways a youngster could pull himself up." End quote. The Big Chief was five foot eleven and 190. At the time, he played two different positions because he was so much bigger than most other athletes. In 1912, Joe played football for the Carlisle Industrial School for Indians in Pennsylvania for two seasons. According to the book The Great Book of Football, Interesting Facts and Sports Stories, co-written by Bill O'Neill and Ryan Black, quote, At any other college, Joe Guyon would have been the best there ever was. When it came to Carlisle Indian Industrial School, he wasn't even the best guy on his own team. That's because Guyon played in the same era at the same school as Jim Thorpe, who many believe to be the greatest athlete this country has ever known." End quote. Thorpe and Guyon played for the legendary head coach Glenn Pop Warner. Thorpe was the featured guy who quarterbacked the team, and Guyon played left tackle, opening gaping holes in the defensive line, allowing Thorpe to slash and dash his way through for huge gains. Once during a 1912 game against Army, a game that featured future United States President Dwight D. Eisenhower and first-team All-American Leland DeVore, DeVore got so frustrated at Guyon that he was ejected from the game. In 1913, when Thorpe left for the pros, Guyon took over as halfback and the team went 10-1-1. After a short stint with the Carlisle Industrial School, Joe went on to play halfback for two seasons at Keewatin Academy in 1914. According to an excerpt from the book Duke Slater, Pioneering Black NFL Player and Judge, Guyon was a captain on the team and was there to gain additional credits to regain college eligibility. Once, in a game against Clinton High School in 1914, Guyon scored on a 15-yard crisscross play from his days at Carlisle to make the score 14-7, and then later in the same game scored a 10-yard touchdown on the same play to make the game 21-7. Nearing the end of the game, Clinton halfback Nips Murphy smashed into Guyon at the Clinton 2-yard line and fumbled. On the ensuing possession, Kiwatin scored to make it 27-7. The next day, the local newspaper gave credit to the Clinton team for putting up a good hard-fought fight in the first half, but fell just short in the second half when Guyan and Barrett stepped up and made big plays. According to the website Sports Collectors Digest, after the 1915 season, while on his way to visit a North Carolina school that had offered him a scholarship, Guyon stopped in Atlanta where his older brother Charles, himself was a football star at the Haskell Institute, and Carlisle was an assistant under head football coach John Heisman at Georgia Tech. Guyon decided to matriculate at Tech, He became part of Heisman's dream team backfield. And when he wasn't carrying the ball himself, he was clearing the way for others. Ralph McGill, Atlanta sports writer, said of Guyon, They could follow that big fella and run to glory because he cleared the way. And I mean he cleared it. Another writer said, Survivors of the teams Tech played in those days still shudder to recall the multiple impacts when guy and blocked or tackled them, and he could punt more than 60 yards consistently, place kick from midfield, and pass with the best. In the 1917 season, Georgia Tech went undefeated and crushed their opponents 491-17. In one game versus Vanderbilt, Guyon ran the ball 12 times for almost 350 yards. In 1918, Georgia Tech was 6-1 and and won the SIAA championship. Guyon was selected as an All-American tackle. This podcast is sponsored by the Sports History Network, your headquarters for sports yesteryear. Show some love for your favorite Sports History Network podcast. Now Open is a merch shop just for you. If you're looking for a unique gift for a birthday or Christmas that's just around the corner, check out the Sports History Network store. You can get coffee mugs, t-shirts, and even podcaster books. Check it out at shopsportshistorynetwork.com. In his first season as a pro... Guyon and the Bulldogs went 9-0-1 and won the league championship. The next season, Canton was the first team to be part of the American Professional Football Association, which now is the National Football League as of 1922. Bob Lemke, the author of the article titled, An Overlooked NFL Giant, Joe Guyon, posted on the Sports Collectors Digest website on July 19, 2010, cites that from 1919 to 1924, Guyan and Thorpe played side by side. They both played for four different teams, the Canton Bulldogs, the Cleveland Indians, the Oorang Indians, and the Rock Island Independents. They had a combined win-loss record of 12, 23, and 2. In 1925, Guyon played for the Kansas City Cowboys while Thorpe stayed with Rock Island. Guyon and the Cowboys were severely disappointed with their season as they went 2-5-1. Since Guyon was playing minor league baseball at the same time as playing professional football, he opted to play the majority of the 1926 season with the Louisville Colonels. He batted 343 with 36 doubles, 13 triples, 132 runs, 86 RBI, 209 hits, and 21 stolen bases. A near-identical statistical season from the one he had in 1925. In 1927, he still played minor league baseball for Louisville, but he also played pro football for the New York football giants. He was reunited with his former teammate Thorpe and they ended up winning the NFL championship that season going 11-1-1. Guyon once told a reporter that season that he did everything but sell programs. Lemke wrote in his article that Guyon played guard, tackle, blocking back, which would be fullback in modern terms, tailback and punter. To close out his professional football career and hopes to play in the MLB, Guyan played in 25 games for Louisville. During one game, he ran into the fence to catch a fly ball and injured his knee. Afterward, the injury ended his playing days. When it was decided that he could not play sports anymore due to a serious knee injury, he had a backup plan. From 1928 to 1931, he became the head coach of the Clemson Tigers baseball team and had a win-loss record of 42-36-3. Mr. Lemke ended his article on Joe Guyon discussing his life after professional sports. Quote, Following his playing days, he lived for a time in Hurrah, Oklahoma, and from 1954 to 62 in Flint, Michigan, where he was a bank guard. A fellow Georgia Tech alum who knew Joe Guyon after his playing days, Joseph P. Bird III, said of Guyon, quote, "Though a terror on the football field, off the field Joe was a gentleman, lighthearted, bright, animated, and witty." Unquote. He returned to Louisville in 1968, where he lived out his days, dying there a day after his 79th birthday. Original, unquote. In the book NFL 100, A Century of Pro Football, Myron Cope took a quote from Joe Guyon from The Game That Was in 1969. Joe says in his own words, quote, I played halfback on offense, and on defense I played sideback, which I suppose is what they later started calling defensive halfback. I had more damn tricks and brother, I could hit you. Elbows, knees, or whatchamacallit, boy, I could use them. And it's true that I used to laugh like the Dickens when I saw other players get injured. Self-protection is the first thing they should have learned. You take care of yourself, you know. I think it's a sin if you don't. It's a rough game, so you got to equip yourself and know what to do. The games that were real scraps were the ones in Chicago. George Hallis was a brawler. There'd be a fight every time we met those sons of biscuits. Hallis knew that I was the key man. He knew that getting me out of there would make the difference. I was playing offense one time and I saw him coming from a long ways off. I was always alert. But I pretended I didn't see him. When I got close, I wheeled around and nailed him, broke three of his ribs. And as they carted him off, I said to him, What the hell, Halas? Don't you know you can't sneak up on an Indian? Mr. Guyon was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 1966 and the College Football Hall of Fame in 1971. At his enshrinement in 1976, Jim Konzelman introduced Guyon and said, I think it's about time we honor an Indian instead of shooting them. Conselman goes on to recap Guyon's illustrious pro football career. Afterwards, Mr. Guyon then steps up to the mic and thanks everyone, including Conselman, and begins his thank you speech by saying, quote, I'm going to greet you like Christopher Columbus was greeted when he landed at Plymouth Rock. Greetings, immigrants and friends. I am really happy to be here, especially here at Canton, where they do things up great, and I'm very appreciative of this honor, and I'll always remember you. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Pigskin Skin Tales Podcast. This story was written and produced by Ross Bliley, edited by Nikki Bliley. To support the podcast, join me on Patreon. You can find the podcast on any platform you want: Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Audible. If you like the story, help me out by doing a quick review. This will help others to want to listen. The soundtrack is from filmmusic.io. Once again,